welcome to Living Hope Church. We're thankful you joined us this morning. If you have children that are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. If you have children that are staying with us and would like to participate, there's some activities on the back table uh, and a children's sermon notes that goes along with the sermon that they can grab and fill out and come see me afterwards and I will have a piece of candy for them. Uh, so today we are uh, beginning our Easter series that we're calling God's Rescue Sto Story. Uh, and in this series, we're going to look at some incredible stories in the Bible of God's rescue. And in that, see how it is that God uh, offers us rescue, restoration, forgiveness, and new life in Him. Uh, we'll also be looking at God's ultimate rescue story, which was accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But for today, we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible and like to head that way. If you don't have a Bible and like one, there's some on the back table. Uh, but I love this story because within it, we see elements of our own story. And we see the profound uh, and incomprehensible love and grace of our God. And, for God's, uh, and God's grace for us, we see, is no accident, but it is personal, it is intentional, it is undeserved, and it's a gift that is offered to each and every one of us. So we're in John chapter 4, and we're going to see God's rescue of the woman at the well. Before we get there, let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you so much just for the chance that we have to gather uh, and to study your word and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that is. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, just speak to us through your word today, Lord, that you would uh, draw us to you, that you would, um, that you would uh, work in our hearts to draw us closer to you, Lord, and that you would give us just the, the courage and faith to follow you however it is you lead. God, we thank you that your love is great, that your uh, just your grace is incomprehensible, uh, Lord, and that it is for all. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in John uh, chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. John writes, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the first thing I want us to see today in this passage is that God's rescue is purposeful and it is intentional. Jesus doesn't just stumble into a conversation with this woman, but this entire narrative, this entire conversation is full of purpose and intentionality. Jesus set out to have this conversation and to save this woman's soul that day and to save the souls of many in Sychar. They had no idea he was on their way, but their lives were about to be changed forever. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And then verse 4, John says, Now he had to go through Samaria. John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was compelled by the Spirit to go through Samaria. But Samaria was not the only route to Galilee. In fact, for any proper Jew, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. Because the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They were hated. The Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. And this hatred goes back to the, the days of Daniel, which we just studied in the Babylonian exile. When Babylon conquered the land, they left the lowest classes of Jews still in Israel. 
And over time, those people intermarried with the non-Jewish people who came into the region. And along with marrying the non-Jews, they also intermingled their faith with these people. And so the, the Samaritans emerged from that time as their own ethnic and religious group that the Jews hated, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. So it was shocking that Jesus would go through Samaria. And it was even more shocking that he would talk to a Samaritan woman. But notice that John says Jesus doesn't just stumble into Samaria, but instead he had to go there. Jesus had to go to Samaria, not because of happenstance or extenuating circumstances, but he had to go to Samaria because there were people there that needed to hear of him and needed to experience his rescue. In the same way, God hasn't and isn't casually pursuing you, but he is pursuing you with purpose and intentionality and love. We see this from a macro standpoint as well as an individual level. From a macro standpoint, we see that the entirety of the Bible is the story of God's rescue, and his plans are intentional, and they will not be thwarted. In Genesis chapter 3, way back at the beginning of the Bible, sin enters the world, and from that point on, we read of God's rescue story. In Genesis 3, God curses the serpent, Satan, and he says to him, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then God says he will crush your head and you will strike at his heel. That he, all the way back in Genesis 3, that will crush Satan's head is Jesus. God has been purposefully and intentionally pursuing mankind, you and I, from the very beginning. And Jesus has always been the plan. We see that purpose and intentionality continue through the, the law as God graciously covenants and offers relationship to his people. We see that purpose, purpose and intentionality in the kings and the judges of the Old Testament as God graciously calls people to repentance and forgiveness in him. We see that purpose and intentionality in the prophets as they tell us of the Savior that is to come. We see that purpose and intentionality in the gospels as Jesus comes and lives a sinless life we couldn't live. He comes and dies the death your sin and my sin deserves and then rises victorious over life and death. We see that purpose and intentionality in the book of Acts and in the epistles of the New Testament as God, God's rescue story spreads throughout the world and eventually to you and I today. And we see that purpose and intentionality in the book of Revelation as God reveals to us that Jesus will one day crush Satan for all time and he will establish his kingdom where there are no more tears, no more death, and no more sin. The Bible, all of the Bible, is the story of God's rescue. And it is purposeful, it is intentional, and the Bible says it cannot be stopped. God's rescue story is not a story of chance, but it's a story of God's grace and his pursuit of mankind and his pursuit of you and I. It's incredible. But God doesn't just pursue us on a macro 30,000-foot level, but he pursues us personally with his grace on a personal level. Look at this. It says, so he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So Jesus doesn't just come to town, but he goes to the well where he knows that this woman is coming. When you go to a public place to meet a friend, you, you sit out in the open where they can find you, where they can't miss you, right? You don't sit in the shade, you don't hide in a corner, you don't go hang in the bathroom, but you sit out where you can be easily found, and that's what Jesus does here. It's noon, it's hot, you'd expect him to sit in the shade, but it says Jesus sits down right by the well where he can't be missed and where he can't be avoided. Jesus has placed himself right in the middle of this woman's path, 
right in the midst of her life where he cannot be missed. And God has done and is doing the same thing in our lives today. He doesn't just give us the Bible and say, uh, to read and step back and say, well, I wonder who's going to figure out who I am and who's going to follow after me. No, God regularly plants himself into our lives. God regularly reveals himself to us through the Spirit. And maybe for you, that's why you're here today, or that's why you've stumbled in this message or watching, on, watching online. Maybe a friend drug you here. Maybe you just woke up early and you had nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. But you being here or listening to this isn't just coincidence. But perhaps maybe it's God's pursuit of your heart. Maybe this is God stepping into your life in grace and beginning a conversation, beginning your rescue story. So Jesus goes out of his way and he purposefully and intentionally crosses paths with this woman. But Jesus doesn't just stop there, but he himself initiates a conversation, a grace-filled faith opportunity with her. Look at verse 7. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't talk to Samaritans. This is amazing. Jesus initiates a conversation, and then he rids himself uh, in the conversation of distraction. He sends the disciples off to get food. And we love the disciples, don't we? But bless their hearts, we can be confident they would have been a distraction to this conversation. The disciples likely would have tried to prevent Jesus from talking to the woman because they would have avoided and looked down upon the Samaritan woman. Or they would have occupied Jesus' time and energy, and they would have been an even more intimidating presence for this woman. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, the times that I best hear from God are those times when the distractions of this world are gone for even just a brief moment. Sometimes that's intentional on my part, but often the distractions are eliminated situationally by God. And so Jesus sends off the distraction of the disciples, and he begins this conversation with the woman. And this is, again, shocking because this woman is a Samaritan, someone that Jews wouldn't even talk to. This woman was a woman, someone that men in their culture wouldn't talk to in public. And this woman is drawing water at noon, and we're going to see that tells us something important about her. You see, typically in their culture, women would draw the water, but they would do so in the morning or the cool of night. Drawing water for the women was a communal activity where they would converse, where they would share stories, where they would catch up with one another. The well of Sikar was the water fountain of the office. But yet this woman is alone drawing water at noon in the heat of the day. She, because of her sin, isn't welcome to draw water with the other women. And so there she is alone in the heat of the day, and Jesus sits there waiting for her. She's as unlikely of a follower of Jesus as there could ever be, and we see that shock in her statement. She says to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you even ask me for a drink? This woman is from the wrong family. She's from the wrong city. She's an outcast in that wrong city. She has no hope or expectation of her life getting better. But the conversation begins. And that's where we see our second point, And that is that God's rescue story is for all people. In this woman's life, we see that God's rescue story is for all people. No matter their race, no matter their gender, no matter their past, no matter their standing, no matter their future prospects, Jesus came to rescue any and all that will turn and follow after him. 
And he intentionally pursues people of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all social standings, of all jobs, of all degrees, of all income levels. Jesus is for all people, and he purposefully and intentionally pursues them. Jesus is not just for middle-class white Americans. No, Jesus is for all people of all backgrounds. In fact, if you look, at, uh, look across our world, the gospel is not spreading and influencing uh, communities fastest in America, but instead the gospel is spreading the fastest in Africa, Asia, and South America. Some of the fastest growing Christian communities today are found in Hong Kong, China, Malaysia, Singapore, and Iran. God is for all people, and he is rescuing and transforming people and communities all over the world, and we are so grateful for that. And we also see in the story that, that Jesus isn't just for the, the quote-unquote put together on the outside. But Jesus is for those of us with baggage, with sinful past, with hurts and heartaches. And let's be honest, some of us do a, a good job of putting on the front of put together, but we are all broken, sinful, hurting people in need of rescue. And if that's you, then know that Jesus came for you, that he loves you, that he is pursuing you, and he offers you his grace his love, his forgiveness, and his life, just as he did for this woman. This woman is from all the wrong places, and yet Jesus is intentionally and personally pursuing her with his love and grace. God's rescue story, Jesus, is for all people, and that includes you. You are not the exception to God's grace. That leads to our next point, and that is that God's rescue story is personal, and yet it is full of grace. Verse 7 again, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink. Jesus' request isn't, would you fill my cup or would you draw some water from my, in my bucket? But he asked for a drink from her bucket. A shocking, unthinkable, and incredibly personal request. I imagine she is taken aback and she responds with, why are you even talking to me? Nonetheless, asking for a drink of my water from my bucket. And then we see Jesus, he uses this conversation, this opportunity to turn the conversation from just water to grace to eternal life and living water. Jesus is turning the conversation to things that really matter. He's personally inviting her into God's rescue story in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says to her, there is something so much more important going on here. It's not just about water, but this is about fulfilling the thirst in your heart that goes so much deeper than physical thirst. He says to her, I'm offering you fulfillment, contentment, purpose that fulfills the deepest desires of your heart. She doesn't quite get where we're going, just as we rarely recognize our need for grace when we first hear of Jesus. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from him himself, as did his son and his livestock? She doesn't understand. She, she knows this well is deep physically. She, and she says to Jesus, you don't even have a bucket. How can you draw water from the well? So where do you get this living water? Because it sounds pretty incredible. She says to him, I don't, I don't love coming to this well at noon every day. So where do we get this water? Her mind is on the physical while Jesus is trying to get to the heart, the soul. Verse 13, Jesus answers her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and won't have to keep coming here 
to draw water. The woman's response is logical, but yet not spiritual. That's so often our response as well. She says to Jesus, if you want to make my life easier and more convenient, then I want what you have. If you can keep me from walking up here in the heat of the day each day and drawing water, then please give me your water. That's how many of us respond to Jesus at first. We say, Jesus, if you can make my life easier, if you can help me to avoid pain, if you will be my genie in the bottle, then I want what you have. But if you're not going to make my life easier, then I don't want you. But Jesus doesn't just just desire to make our daily lives easier, but he desires to rescue our souls, to forgive us of our sins, to grant us eternal life, and to give us a peace in all circumstances. God desires not comfort and ease for us, but he desires to renew our hearts and our souls. But this woman, she's just not getting it. It's just as we often don't get it. Jesus is offering eternal life. Jesus is offering eternal fulfillment and purpose. Jesus is offering to fulfill the thirst that she has sought in the things of the world. And that's when things get personal in verse 16. Jesus told the woman, go call your husband and come back. And her response, I imagine, is immediate. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And just like that, things got real personal in this story. And we now know why this woman is drawing her water at noon. She has had five husbands and now is living and is now living in an adulterous relationship with a man. And the town of Sikar is like any good small town, right? Everyone knew of this, and she had become an outcast in her own town. She had attempted to fulfill the desires and thirst of her heart in men, and she has been left thirsty. It is this thirst that Jesus offers to fulfill through living water and through himself. The reality is we are all born with this thirst to be loved, this thirst to have a purpose, this thirst to be a part of something bigger, this desire to be known. Philosopher Blaise Pascal calls this the God-shaped hole of our soul. God has created us each with a desire to know him and be known, and only he could fulfill that hole. But so often we seek to fill that missing desire with self and with pleasure. This woman has sought to fulfill it through men. But we all seek to fulfill it in our own way. For some of us it is the opposite sex. It is a spouse that we have tried to fulfill it in. Placing all of our expectations, all of our longings, all of our desires on them. And they weren't created to fulfill that. For others we have sought to fulfill it in a job. Pouring everything into a job only to be left empty. For others, it's money, it's power, it's prestige, it's good works, it's a a new house, it's travel. Whatever it is, we have all tried to fulfill that void only to be left empty-handed with five husbands, with five trips, with five houses, with five jobs, with more money than we ever imagined, yet still thirsty and empty. And then Jesus says to this woman, it's not men that are going to fulfill your thirst, but it's me. And that's what he offers you. It's not money. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's not a spouse. It's not a child. But only Jesus that can make you whole and fulfilled. Well, this woman at this point, I would imagine she's convicted and shocked. And so she redirects the conversation from herself and her struggles to what the hot religious topic of that day was. You can read that. We're going to skip over it. But we do the same thing. 
When we feel conviction in our life, when we recognize our sin, we try to change the subject or we try to make a joke to make things less serious and less convicting. And so if you're here today and God is tugging at your heart, don't redirect, but listen to him. And so they have this conversation about worship. And that's a sermon in itself, but it concludes with a woman saying, well, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if you're right or I'm right, but the Messiah The Christ is coming someday, and he will explain it all to us. To which Jesus reveals to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So he reveals to himself that I am the Savior. Fascinating. This is the the first time he publicly declares that he is the Savior, and he does it to a Samaritan woman. But throughout this entire conversation, Jesus addresses her sin. He addresses the consequences of her sin, but he never stops there. He treats her with love, with grace, and he offers her himself the one thing that can forgive her sins and fulfill her desire to be loved and accepted. That's the same thing he offers to us today. Jesus knows you. He knows me. He knows your sin and my sin. He knows your past and my past. He knows your hurt and your pain, but he doesn't stop there. Jesus loves you, and he offers himself as a substitute for your sin, for the wage or the consequence of your sin. And he offers you grace, love, and forgiveness in him. His love, his rescue in your life is personal. It is all up in your business. But it's out of his love and grace for you that he calls. And then for the Christian, this is the model of how we are to love the people, to love the world around us. God hasn't placed us in our workplace, in our neighborhood, to be the bearers of judgment and condemnation. No, he has placed us in our community, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, to be the bearers of God's love and grace. So often we meet the person with five husbands, or the person with drug addiction, or the person that is so obnoxiously self-centered, and we discount them, and we condemn them. But Jesus doesn't do that, but instead he loves, and he continues to offer a better life through his grace and forgiveness. That leads to our final point, and that is that God's rescue is life-giving. It is transformational. At this point in the story, the disciples return, and the woman leaves. But John notes a note. He says, but she leaves her jar behind. And this leaving of the jar behind is significant because it means she's coming back, and it represents that first surrender in her life to follow God. She is surrendering her plans, her day for God's plans. And as we will see, it is a life-giving, transformational surrender. And for us in our lives, that surrender, that first step of obedience the Bible calls us to is baptism. Just as leaving of the leaving of the jar and going to share the news was a public declaration of this woman's faith, so too is baptism our first public declaration of faith as followers of God. And so if you're here and you have already surrendered and trusted your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized as a believer, man, then we would love to talk to you more about what that means and help you take that step of surrender and obedience. But we're going to see this rescue, this life-giving, this transformational rescue in two places. And the first place we see that is, is not the woman, but it's in the lives of the disciples. The disciples return and they immediately begin to judge Jesus for talking to the woman. Although wisely, none of them have the the courage to speak up and address the issue. And then they urge Jesus to eat, and Jesus goes off on them. It seems like a simple thing. They say, Jesus, here's your food. Eat your lunch. And then he goes off. And to summarize, he tells them that there is more to this life than food. 
He tells the disciples, that woman that just left is about to follow me. And as we speak, she is telling an entire village about me. And they're on their way up here, and something amazing is about to happen. Many in that village are going to give their life, and they're going to follow me. A village is about to be changed, Jesus says. We can eat later. And so first he's transforming their view of people. He's showing them not to discount people, and then he is trying to transform the way they look at the world. Jesus is saying there's more to this world than just food and the things of the world. He's telling them we are in the soul-saving business. It's so much more important than food. And so if you're a Christian, this is where we fall. We fall into this camp of the disciples. And this is Jesus' message for you. First of all, he's telling us we've got to begin to see people through his eyes. As hard as it is, there is no one too far gone for Jesus' love and work on the cross. And then secondly, he is speaking to us, we have got to be in the soul-saving business. Our lives can't be solely about the things of this world. The disciples were worried about food and what they're going to eat for lunch. And I get that because I'm already worried about what I'm going to eat for lunch. But Jesus was worried about souls. The disciples were worried about food. Jesus worried about souls. And he's saying to us, there is more to life than food. There is more to life than the weather, than sports, than fishing, than hunting, than shopping, than houses, than cars, than 401ks, or whatever it is that you love in this world. Jesus says there's more. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but we are called to more. When our focus, when our lives revolve around the things of this world, then we miss the rescue mission that we are called to. And Jesus is trying to refocus and redirect the disciples' lives to the rescue mission. And that's what he does for us today. We, you and I, have a call and a purpose. And that call and purpose is to go and make disciples. So if you're a Christian, the question is, is for us, is, is that a disciple? Is God's rescue mission, is that a priority in our lives where we invested all of our time, all of our energy, all of our resources into things that the Bible says ultimately don't make an eternal difference. The disciples are worried about what they're going to eat for lunch. Meanwhile, as they are speaking, the Samaritans were leaving their homes, leaving their town, and crossing the fields towards them. These people, the disciples thought were enemies, are coming. and They are ready to receive and follow Jesus. Jesus tells them the harvest is ready. And today the harvest is ready as well. We must believe and pray that God is moving all around us and then open our hearts, our eyes, and our mouths and share the hope around us. When we experience God's salvation, his rescue story in our lives, then it transforms and changes our purpose, our mission in this life. And it changes it from self to God and others. So Jesus is doing that in the disciples' lives. He's transforming their lives, and he is transforming the futures of his disciples. These are the conversations that are shaping their outlook, that are changing the way they're going to respond and how they're going to act as they spread the gospel to the world. And as Jesus talks with the disciples, we see the evidence of the transformation already occurring in the Samaritan's woman. This Samaritan woman, she goes into town and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The woman was at the well at noon to avoid the company and criticism of others. But she has met Jesus, and now she wants everyone to know. And instead of hiding her past, she reminds them of her past and tells the grace she was shown despite it. That's how we know there's something special about the love of Jesus and the grace he talked to her with. 
I don't know about you, but if anyone ever told me everything I had ever done wrong, I would be ashamed and I would want to keep people away from that person in fear that they might out me further. She has the opposite response. She boasts and she tells everyone to come and meet the man because she has been changed. Jesus knows her sin, but he offers her forgiveness and a new way of life. And that's what he offers to you and to this entire town. So it says the entire town comes to Jesus and many believed in him because of what the woman said. And they say, Jesus, will you come and stay with us? And so he stays with them for two more days. And then it says that many more believe because of what he shared with them. Verse 42, it says, they then said to the woman, the, t- the crowd, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus' love transformed their lives and they became followers of him. Not necessarily because of the words of the woman, but because of the words of Jesus and because of who he is. And that's my hope for you today if you've never given your life to Jesus. My hope isn't that my words would, would somehow convince you to follow him. My hope isn't that some illustration would move you to follow him. My hope is that who Jesus is, what he has said in this book, the Bible, and his love for you, would cause you to believe and follow him. Jesus offers you living water. He offers you fulfillment, forgiveness, and purpose, just as he offered to the woman of the well. It is through Jesus that you will, it is only through Jesus that you will ever find fulfillment and purpose and forgiveness. The Bible says there is nothing in this world that can fulfill that void. Only him. I believe you are here for a purpose. I believe your being here is intentional. And he is offering you transformational grace through him if you only follow him. If you flip a page or two back in the Bible, we sang of it. But there's a verse, John 3, 16 through 17. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, that can be you, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 says, God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world. But he sent him to save the world through him. God's rescue story is that Jesus came to the world. He died on the cross for your sins. And if you'll believe in him, you will be forgiven. You will be given eternal life. And your thirst fulfilled in a way you never knew was possible. It doesn't mean you'll never have struggles again in this world. You'll still be physically thirsty and hungry and tired and sick. But Jesus will fulfill your soul thirst for a purpose. That soul thirst for him. And so if you've never followed Jesus before, I pray that you, like the woman at the well today, that this would be the day you surrender and follow him. And so as we begin to wrap up, I'm gonna, I want to share with you a video and a, a song that helps put me into the midst of this story. It helps to put me into the midst of God's rescue story. And so in just a second, we're going to play it, and we're just going to take a couple of minutes to watch it. And I would challenge you to consider, have you ever responded to Jesus' invitation? Have you ever responded to his forgiveness, his love, and his grace? If the answer is no, would you follow him today? And if the answer is yes, if you are a follower, would you take steps to follow him daily to grow in your relationship with him? So this video is by Olivia Lane. It's called The Woman at the Well. Uh, and there's some video that goes along. It is from the show, The Chosen. I heard a story from the Bible When I was just a little girl About a broken hearted woman 
what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? And to be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? What do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Staring at that empty bottle I swear I caught a glimpse of him He met me right there at the bottom And turned that wine to living water And taught me how to love again Yeah, tonight I feel just like the woman I've made mistakes. Too many. Where am I supposed to go when I need God? God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from. Just a story when I read it Cause I've seen it for myself And I believe it I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah You are the first It would be good if you believed me Cause tonight I feel just like The woman at the well I'm going to tell everyone I was counting on this
love how that puts you into the story because um, we all know our past we all know our sins we've all had days where uh, we couldn't love ourselves but yet we meet the savior of the world and he offers us forgiveness and life uh, in him and so just a minute melinda she's going to come and she's going to play and we're going to take some time as she plays just to reflect on god's rescue story his rescue story in our life or the rescue story offered to us today. And so if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life and turned and followed after God, then you can do that today. You, like the woman at the well, can recognize your need for, for a Savior. You can surrender your sin, your life, your future, and turn and follow Jesus. You can recognize that Jesus not only came to forgive the world, but he came to forgive you. You and your seat are, are now, as Melinda plays and pray with a surrendered heart, something along the lines of, God, I know that I have sinned and done things that go against you. I know that what I deserve is death and separation for you, but I also know that you love me. That you came to earth and lived a sinless life I couldn't live. I know that you died the death my sin deserves, and I know you rose three days later. Jesus, I believe that you are God and you paid the price for my sin. And so today I surrender my life, my future to follow you and to walk in forgiveness and life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your life. And there's no magic words, but if you pray something like that with a surrendered heart, the Bible says you will be forgiven. You will inherit eternal life, and you will receive the hope and the joy and the peace that is only available in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you prayed that prayer or you have questions, would you please come and, and talk with me or someone? We would love to share with you and answer your questions and talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die in your place, and he offers forgiveness and new life. If you, like this woman, will turn and follow him. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you, you are the disciples in the story, would you first just give thanks for God's rescue? Give thanks for his rescue in your life. Would you just spend a minute or two reflecting on God's purposeful and intentional pursuit in your life? Think about those moments and the people that God used to call you to him. And then would you just spend a moment in honest reflection and ask the question, what is it that I value and prioritize the most? Am I like the disciples worried about the temporary, the immediate of this world? Or am I investing in, in my life in God's kingdom in the harvest? And if you spent your life primarily focused on yourself and your kingdom, would you just repent from that and ask God, where is he leading you to join him in his, in his call and his mission to reach people for, for the kingdom? So I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray, Melinda's going to play, and I just ask you while she plays to bow your head and to just spend a couple of moments just reflecting on who God is and what he's done in your life and what he's offered to you. And then, uh, and then I'll come back and pray for us and give close. God, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace for us. Your love and for your grace for, for a sinner like me. God, we thank you that, that you, the Savior of the world, came and you lived the sinless life that, that I couldn't live. You died the death that I deserved, and then you rose victorious over death and offered that life and forgiveness for me. God, we thank you so much for that. And God, I pray there's anyone here that doesn't know you, 
I pray that you would help them to see your purposeful and your intentional love and pursuit of them. That you would open their hearts to the life and the grace and the forgiveness that waits in you. God, I pray that you would give them a courage to trust and follow you today. And God, for those of us that, that have experienced your rescue story, that have experienced your grace, Lord, I pray that you would call us to deeper faith, that you would call us to deeper trust, and that you would give us the faith and the courage to invest our lives in your kingdom, in eternity, and in your future. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace for sinners like us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.